Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're gonna hear some practical teaching from God's word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the giving tab and choose online campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today. and We hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning and welcome to Emmanuel. How are you feeling today, church? I want to welcome all of our locations right now and everyone watching online here locally and also across the country. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Danny. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel. And today we are starting a brand new series called do better. Now, to be fair, I had a series plan. It was called In the Waiting. We were going to talk about ways to kind of, you know, thing, you know, encourage ourselves while we wait for things to get back to normal from COVID and all that stuff. But I pressed pause on that series because I felt compelled by God to actually talk about something different over the next couple of weeks. And that is the issue of racism. We have never talked about that as a church head on. We've never discussed it at length uh, in any way from this, uh, from this platform at all. But as we watch our world around us literally erupting in flames and, and, and protests and riots and looting, it would be irresponsible of us to not talk about it in church. Do you agree with this? We must talk about this issue as a church. However uncomfortable it is, and it makes some of us, you know, feel like, oh man, I, this, is, this is not what I want to hear. Trust me, this is not what I want to preach on. So I'm not up here today saying, oh, finally I get my chance to talk about this issue. Racism. A few weeks ago, I forced myself to watch the 8 minute, 46 second video as many of you have, of a grown man being put to, get, put to death on the streets of Minneapolis. I didn't want to watch it. I was already exhausted from dealing with COVID and this and that, and everybody else is tired and exhausted and tired of being isolated in their homes. And well, I didn't want to add one more thing to... to, to stress over, worry about, be angry about, upset about. And so I just, for a couple of days, I just didn't watch it until I realized I have a responsibility to watch it. And so I went to my bedroom and I watched the, the video and I was beyond appalled. I've never seen in my lifetime a grown man pinned down on the ground, face down, in handcuffs, with a knee on his neck, communicating, I can't breathe, I'm in pain, I'm done, and not be respected and shown mercy and shown dignity. And then when he called out to his mother, that's what really got me. When a 40-something, 50-something-year-old man calls out for his mother. 
Something, ha- something hit me inside that's never hit me before. I've seen other things. I've watched other things. You've seen other things. But I've never seen that. And I began to ask God, God, what do, you, what do I do with that? What do I do with this? I kept, I kept crying. In the middle of the day, I'd cry. I'd talk to our staff. I'd cry. Talk to my wife. What do you, God, what? How can I preach on, how can I say, and how, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? As a church, what's the next step? Begin praying, asking God to show us, to show me. And here's, here's what God said to our team and to me directly. He said this, you can do better. You can do better personally, and you can do better as a church to help on this issue. See, up to this point in my life, racism has always been an issue that I can, you know, with a clean conscience put in this category called the circle of concern. Years ago, I read a book by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he said effective people are able to put certain events in in the circle of concern and then certain events in the circle of influence, and if you keep things in the right category, you can be effective and you can focus and you can get things done. And so for me, racism went into the circle of concern. Meaning this is, this is an issue for me personally that I can't do anything about. I can't affect change. I can't change the world. I can't change the policies. I can, I'm not in government. I can't, there's nothing I can do. It's not inside the circle of influence for me. It's outside the, there's, I can't shape this. I can't do it. The only, my only responsibility personally is to not be a racist. And I've done that. Put a person in front of me of any skin color. I'll say, how can I serve you? How can I help you? You're, you're created in God's image. Like, I want to help you. I don't have a problem like personally being a racist and, and that's where I've left it. And my conscience has been somewhat clean. Like, I'm not a racist. What am I supposed to do? And God has been communicating to me that that's not enough. You can do better. I've been watching a series on Amazon Prime. It's also a book called The Color of Compromise. It's fascinating. If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it today. It's about 13-part series. But all the content is in a book and by the same title. The author, his name is Jamar Tisby. He says this, The refusal to act in the midst of injustice is itself an act of injustice. My silence on this issue has been an act of injustice. What am I supposed to do? I'm just a pastor of a church, and I'm not a racist after all. Isn't that enough? God says, no, it's not enough. You can do better. And so here we are. What can I do? I can talk about it. I can talk about it from this platform. I can teach on it. I can teach the wrongs of it, the evils of it, and do my best to communicate ideas that would change our hearts and our minds for those of us who need to be changed. Let's talk about it. Racism, what is it? And I know there are definitions of it that, 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 that are, you know, systems issues and structural issues and power definitions. I want to talk about the, the personal definition of racism. What is it on a personal level? It's the belief that one's ethnic group is superior and therefore has the right to dominate, mistreat, and even annihilate, as we've seen in Nazi Germany. Germans thought that the, not, that the Jews were not quite human, lesser of a human being. And so there they made a decision to try to wipe them off the face of the planet. See, this isn't a black or white issue. It is right now, but this isn't a black or white issue. 
This is a, my ethnic group is superior to your ethnic group, and therefore I can mistreat you, I can dominate you, or even annihilate you. Now, notice I didn't use the word race here. That is a very critical piece. Because race, this idea of race, is actually something that was created by human beings. It's not an actual thing. It's a creation. It's a social construct. We, the, the, the people who came to America, were the, were the ones who created this idea called race. There are not many races. When you pick up the Bible, you do not find a teaching on different races. There is only one race, and that is called, say it with me, the human race. See, you know that. There's one race. There's the human race. Now, we have different ethnic groups and skin colors and people from different regions and languages, but it's all one race that is so critical to understand. Racism says, my ethnic group is superior to your ethnic group, therefore I can mistreat you, dominate you, or even annihilate you. Now, I personally have never experienced a whole lot of this. There was some racism when I grew up in New York City, and uh, not some, there was quite a lot, but I didn't exactly experience a lot of it. Some, but not a lot. But going back uh, two generations to my grandfather, he experienced a lot of it. You see, my grandfather grew up in the Bronx, and my grandmother actually came over from Puerto Rico when she was 18, met my grandfather in church, and they just fell in love and they got married. If you have racial conversations with friends, you are, you'll be familiar with this terminology called getting a pass. My grandmother was 100% uh, Puerto Rican, but she was light-skinned Puerto Rican with green eyes and auburn hair. More, she looked more European than... Uh, than a darker-skinned Puerto Rican. Um, so she got a pass. Let me give you an example. After they got married, they went to get an apartment in the Bronx. They were trying to get move out. They were living with my great-grandmother, but they wanted to start their own family. And uh, I'm getting all of this through my mother, obviously. My grandmother's not alive anymore. Um, and so she goes out and she finds this apartment and gets it pretty much secured. And she needs to get my grandfather to come and sign the papers. And so she's got to bring him to the meeting. So she goes and gets him, and, and everything's great. And then my grandfather shows up, who, his, his name is Angel Louis Vega. You cannot get any more Puerto Rican than that, folks. He is a dark-skinned, jet-black hair, yay-high man, maybe 5'4", right? You would never think that I'm his grandson, ever. <laughs> He shows up, he's got dark skin, dark hair, short, you know, clearly not white. All of a sudden, apartment's not available, sir. It's been taken. It was fine when my grandmother was applying for it, but we're not going to rent it to you. See, you're not white, sir. So I dove in, I said, Mom, that's, I can't believe you never told me that story. What, what else, Grandpa, what else did he face? Well, he, he was beat up. He was constantly made fun of. He was picked on. He wasn't encouraged to further his education. One time he was kicked down a flight of stairs. See, I have never experienced that because I get a pass. You, you wouldn't walk up to me and say, dude, you're from Puerto Rico. Like, what part? Nope, doesn't happen to me because <laughs> I look too white. Racism, what is it? It's, it's, it's mistreating people based on the color of their skin, thinking that my ethnic group is superior to yours. It is an evil in this world that has caused unimaginable pain and suffering to certain groups of people. 
the least of which is white. You say, man, but that was such a long time ago. Gosh, that was back in what? In the Bronx, back in the what? 1950s. We've, we've progressed, have we? Have we? This week I got together with some of our African-American families here at the church and I just had a, a conversation with them. I said, can you, um, can you share with me what it's like these last couple of weeks? You've seen a couple of very public murders. Um, what's it like to, to experience life in your shoes? And, and how can we be part of the solution? One lady's name who shared uh, a story, her, her name is Tirza. Some of you may know a Tirza Martin. She said, well, let me tell you what happened in my life a couple weeks ago. My, my teenage son asked me if he can go out for a run. And I said, no. He said, but, you know, I'm going to go for a run. He's 16. You don't tell a 16-year-old boy you can't go out for a run, right? And she said, well, if you're going to go for a run, then I'm going to follow you. And so he got dressed and went for his run, and she got in her car, and she tailed him in her car as he ran for his, his run around the neighborhood. Now, this is a neighborhood, I know some of you are watching in different states, maybe even different countries, but this is a neighborhood in central Indiana. This is our community, black boy being tailed by his black mother. Now, I have boys who go on runs all the time. A 16-year-old, 18-year-old, I have never once thought, man, I need to get in the car and follow you just in case someone thinks you might have stole something and they try to pull a citizen's arrest. And See, we can do better than that. Do you agree, yes or no? We can do better than that. This, this is an issue that is still alive today. It takes different forms. It, it manifests itself differently, but it's still the... Another one of my friends who was in the meeting, his name is Ray Jackson. He's also a police officer, African-American man. He said, let me tell you a little story of what happened to me. He said, one day I'm out cutting my grass. I've got a tank top on. My tattoos are showing. I've got a little bandana on. And as I'm cutting my grass, someone pulls up next to me and says, uh, what are you doing? Ray said, he looked at me and said, I'm cutting my grass. He said, oh, you must be either a professional athlete or like a, a musician or something. Because he didn't say this, but here's what he was saying. Because there's no other way a black man could afford a house in this neighborhood. You hear what I'm saying? That's, our, that's happening in our community to people of color. Racism is alive. And we can do better, yes or no? We can do better than that, folks. It's amazing that I have to say this today, but I have to say it. There is no ethnic group that is superior to another. I can't even believe I have to put this on the screen in 2020 in the year that we're in. But this needs to be said. There is no ethnic group that is superior to any other group. You say, how do you know that? Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings, the human race, in his own, say it with me, image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Every skin color, every people group, every nation was created by God in his image. You have never looked at a human being and not seen the image of God ever. See, racism is a sin against God and against his creation, against humanity. It's what it really is. And we've got to understand that. It's a horrific evil that causes unimaginable emotional damage and trauma. And our nation is guilty 
of such sin. And it has been from the very beginning, even before the Constitution was in place. This is hard to talk about, I understand. But we need to, because we have to do better. We have to be part of the solution. What we've done up to this point is not enough. Did Jesus ever talk about race? You bet he did. When Jesus really wanted to attack, attack an issue, he would tell a story. He was, oh, he was a storyteller. So one day, a Jewish man, a lawyer, comes up to him and says, Jesus, what do I, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he's like, well, what does Moses say? What does the, what does the, the Pentateuch say? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. The guy says, okay, that's great. Uh, Jesus says, great, do that, and you'll be fine. But the man pushes back on Jesus and says, okay, but, you know, who is really my neighbor? Like, what does that look like? He wanted to kind of justify himself and make sure he was good to go. And so uh, Jesus responds with a story, as he would often do. So he tells a story about this man, this Jewish man that was on his way from Jerusalem to Jer- Jericho, and he gets mugged, and he gets beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. Let's pick up the story right there. By chance, a priest... A Jewish priest, maybe this guy's pastor, a man of the cloth, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Isn't this what we've been doing for far too long? It's what I've been doing. Haven't we been putting the person who needs help in the category of circle of concern instead of circle of influence. I can't do anything about this. I've got somewhere to go. I've got somewhere to be. I've got a, pre- I've got a sermon to prep for. I've got people to pray for. I've got, I can't stop and help the person in need. So he passes them by. Then a, a temple assistant shows up. Someone else who's Jewish. Someone else who works in the church. A staff member walks over. Looks at the guy lying on the ground. But he also passed by on the other side. Same situation. These people are of the same race. They're all Jewish. Then Jesus says, a third man enters the scene. This man is a despised Samaritan. I'll, I'll, I'll say more about that in a second. A despised Samaritan comes along, and when he saw the man, he had, say it with me, he had compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them up. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. And watch what happens. The next day, the next day, when he handed the innkeeper, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I come into town. What does this mean? Why would Jesus bring Two Jewish men into the scene who pass by on the other side. And then this third man comes in. Remember, he's answering the question, who is my neighbor? A third man comes in, and this man is a despised Samaritan. Now, if you don't know anything about the history of Samaritans and Jews, I'll give you the quick summary. For 400 years, they had this racial tension. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews felt like they were sub, they were an impure race because they had mixed with other nationalities, and they were a little bit of Jewish. And and so they, they, because the Jews hated them, the Samaritans hated them back, and it's real complicated, but it went on for 400 years. You talk about racial tension. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing when he says, a despised Samaritan enters the scene. A person who's not like the first two and not like the man who's lying, dying on the ground. This despised Samaritan, if if you follow the narrative back then, should have walked over to the dying man and said, you finally got what you've deserved. 
And now I'm gonna watch you die. You've hated us for 400 years and now I'm not gonna help you. In fact, I might finish you off. That's what the culture would have dictated. Jesus says, no, instead, instead, the man who should have poured hatred out on this dying man, this dying Jewish man, instead, he gets down on a knee and he, and he helps him. He bandages him. He, he gets him on his donkey. He brings him. He makes sure he's okay. Who is my neighbor? I'll tell you who my neighbor is. It's any single human being, even the human beings that society says we should all hate. It's any human being who needs our help. We can do better. We can do better. Jesus is saying, you have the ability and I have the ability, like this despised Samaritan, to overlook the injustices, to overlook the hatred, to overlook the pain and get on a knee and help the person who is in need. That is not only what we need to do, it's what we should do. I've been thinking about this story. And, and I think here, here's, the, here's the takeaway. If, if love of God and love of neighbor who happens to be any person with any skin color at any time who needs help, if love of God and love of neighbor are the highest form of spirituality, then guess what? Adversity is the greatest test of spiritual maturity. Are you passing that test? How do you treat people with a different skin color who need help? See, right now there's a lot of controversy around this, this movement called Black Lives Matter. We gotta talk about it. We've always been a church that needs to talk about what's going on. We gotta talk about it. There are parts of this movement that I absolutely disagree with, advocating violence against police officers, defunding police, just promoting violence. That's not in the scriptures. It's an understandable response to years and years and years and years of injustice, but it's not okay, and we cannot condone it. And we don't jive with that, and we don't align with that, but as Christ followers, not as white people or black people, we just don't advocate that sort of stuff. But the part of the message that we do here and that we need to hear is that black lives actually matter. And the pushback that a lot of white people give to that is, well, all lives matter. And, 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 and the answer to that is, of course they do. Nobody's saying that white lives don't matter. Nobody's saying that. We're just saying that black lives matter too. Here's, here's the situation and why the Good Samaritan story is so important. Please hear me and open your heart to this. If you, if you put the, the whole black lives matter into the context of this story, the, the, the man who's on the ground left for dead is the black man. He is the neighbor. He is the one in need. Everybody's life matters, but at this particular moment, that man's dying. And will you and I, like the Good Samaritan, say, who cares if he's Jewish? Who cares if he's black? It's not about black, white skin color. This guy's dying. Let me help him. That's the message of Black Lives Matter. And it's the message of the Bible. The person in need is your neighbor. The greatest test of your spiritual maturity is how you're going to address the person in need. Are you going to walk past like the two, the two Jewish people? Not my problem. I've got stuff to do. Or are you going to kneel down and help the one in need? Black people have been asking for help for hundreds of years. Listen to me. 
hundreds of years they have been asking for help from the race that is in charge. Maybe finally, this moment in history, we say, we hear you. And we want to do something about it. And we want to help to normalize equality for you. Is, is that a moment you want to step into? It's a moment I want to step into. Why? <laughs> well, let's play the story out. Where, where's this all headed? This whole human experience. Where's it all headed anyway? Well, one day Christ is going to come back and he's going to take his children home and he's going to restore all things. Like, this is not going to go on forever. You guys know that, right? It's going to wrap up. Maybe soon, maybe later. We don't know. Christ is going to return. But what we do know is after he returns, there's going to be this collection of people in heaven. I was on a Zoom call the other day with 120 pastors across the world. Across the world. So humbling to be on this call. Pastor Nicky Gumbel of Holy Trinity Brompton Church in London, England, led the call. He talked about racial injustice and normalizing equality. I, 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 if you've been on some Zoom calls, you know that when there's a lot of people on the Zoom call, you get pages of faces. Yes? Have you been on one of these yet? Pages of faces. Not one page. 120 pastors. I went through and I clicked on all these pages. Page after page after page after page of faces. Here are some of the countries that were represented on this call. Not all of them, just some of them. Colombia, England, Indonesia, Scotland, South Africa, Germany, Austria, Kenya, Canada, Mexico, Portugal. Pastors, females, males, 120 of them on this call. And I'm looking and I'm clicking and I'm, I'm looking at all these different faces and all these different countries. And you know what I saw? I saw God's family. And they weren't all white. There was dark black people, medium brown people. There was some medium tan people, some lighter tan people. There were some white folks. There were some extra white folks. You know what I'm talking about? There was a face on every spectrum of the color on this phone call. And it, it, it reminded me of a passage in Revelation, of how this story ends in Revelation 7 verse 9. This is what happens in the end of our story. After this, I saw a vast crowd, far too many to count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were all dressed in these white robes and they were holding palm branches. And here's what they were saying. Listen to this. They were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from, say it with me, our God. He's not the God of the white people. He's not the God of the Americans. He's the God of every people group from every nation, every tribe, every language, every skin color. All collectively, we all say salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. That is how our story ends, folks. God loves diversity. That's why he made so many different types of people. I'm here to tell you something. If you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven. Heaven is going to be a place where, oh, I'm uncomfortable here. People don't look like me. What does this mean? If that's how our story ends, it means that right now the job of the church is to work towards 
unity amongst all the skin colors and all ethnic groups. I don't want to stand before God one day and say, well, Pastor Danny, you, you led your church and it's 95% white. Welcome. Now, some of that's dictated by where we live and all that stuff. But we've, got, we've got locations now, Banta, Garfield Park, extremely diverse communities, lots of different ethnicities. We have to work towards this deal right now if that's where we're headed. We can do better. And I can no longer sit this out as your pastor. This issue for me has moved from the circle of concern into the circle of influence. What can I do? I can talk about it. I can teach about it. I can explain things. I can listen to people and tell their stories. And that's what I'm going to try to do to bring some healing to our world. And not even just listen to, to, to those who are not white, but listen to all sides. I was just talking to a police officer after the nine o'clock service and his heart was broken. He said, my whole life, all I've ever wanted to do is be a police officer. Now I come home and I park my, my police car in my garage and I hide it. We gotta listen to that side too. We gotta listen to all sides. We gotta... That's how we help, by the way. How do we help? How do we make it better? We listen. We make a decision to listen. We listen to what people are going through. We sit down with the people in our life and say, what is it like to be in your shoes? And I guarantee when you sit down to listen, you will hear some things and you'll say, man, that's not what I experienced. That's not how I think. You know, when, when I go to the grocery store, things don't feel that way. When I go to the bank, I don't, I don't get that type, type of treatment. When, when I'm driving down the road, I've never been... We, and then what happens is we start to empathize and we start to have compassion. And then when we have compassion and we see somebody in need, that's what, what motivates us to get down on our knees to help. Listen, the, the, the despised Samaritan stopped because he had compassion in his heart. How do we develop that compassion? Empathy. Empathy. Empathy is simply trying to experience life in your shoes. You want to know what this really looks like? Look at what happened with Drew Brees this week. Boilermaker, NFL, all-star, saint. He's talking about things from his perspective. He's talking about the national anthem from his perspective. He's talking about the American flag from his perspective. All legitimate. That's fine. That's your experience. Your grandfather did this. But okay, you think about that. But what he didn't stop to do is pause and say, okay, this is my experience. I wonder what it's like to have an experience from, I don't wanna say my favorite wide receiver who happens to be a black man, or my tight end who happens to be a black man. Well, those guys got real vocal if you've been listening on social media and they educated Drew on their experience and what it's like to be an American and what their grandfathers had to do during the different wars that this country has fought. And it is a much different experience. What if Drew would have said, you know what, before I make a statement on this whole issue, I'm gonna sit down with my team. Man, guys, this is a tough time for whites, for blacks. It is a tough time. Let me hear your heart. When that national anthem goes off, when, when this happens, what's, when you heard about George Floyd, what are you thinking? What if he would have taken a time to listen. Do you think he would have said something different, yes or no? Absolutely. Why? Because he would have had empathy. He would have, he would have had compassion. 
Listen, listening creates that. And then you speak with a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more insight, with a little bit more compassion for all, for all sides. And then what happens is people see each other and they're like, dude, you're just like me. Like, I feel the same way. Like, I, like, I love you. Like, no matter what your skin color is. And then we come together and now there's unity. And it all starts with listening. Is, do we need to do more than listen? Absolutely, we need to do more than listen. But man, things start with listening to what other people are going through and what they feel. And that generates that compassion. And that restores humanity. I'm telling you what, if our president would get out on his stage and say to all the people in this country right now that are beat up on the side of the road, dead, dying, almost dying, if he would stand up and say, hey, hey, as your president, I hear you. I want to hear you. This week, we are having all of the African-American leaders in government, in business, across the country, and I'm gonna have a meeting, and we are going to listen, and we are going to hear. And then what we're gonna do is, we're gonna to try to make some changes in the systems. If our president would do that, instead of coming out and saying, we're gonna shoot the looters, or we're gonna bring the military, and I understand that thinking, restore order and all that stuff, but, but, but what if he would, before he did that, what if he listened? What if you listened? What if I listened? Here's what happened this week when I listened to African-American families in our church. They felt heard. They felt like I cared, and I do. And that generates compassion and empathy. And we can say, wow, I don't want you to have to go through life like that. What can we do to change that? And that's how we begin to do better and create a culture where black people and people that are not white can feel the same way that white people feel in our community. It's on us to make those changes. This is not a fun talk. This is not one I wanted to give, but it's one that's needed. The challenge is this, will you listen? I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna do my best to listen to all sides. What's going on? How do you feel? What's your experience? That's part of the conversation. Will you listen? Next week, we're gonna talk about understanding and how did we get to this place in our country at all? It's important to understand the history of how we've arrived to this moment in time. And I'm not saying I know all the answers, but man, when you understand the history from the very beginning of this country, it changes the way you feel about current events today. Will you listen? A few moments ago, I mentioned that the story ends with this crowd of people, too many to count from every nation, every language, every color, every people group. And they're all together saying with one voice, salvation is from our God. Will you be part of that group one day? I hope so. I hope that one day you'll be standing before the throne, worshiping God with every single type of ethnic group right next to you. How can you know for sure? Well, you have to, you have to accept Jesus's invitation to become part of the family. He made it very simple. He said this in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, everybody, <laughs> every nationality, every ethnic group, every color, every, every ethnic group, that he gave his one and only son. To, why? To make a big family. 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, eternal life. Are you in that family? I hope, I hope that you are. If, you're, if you don't know, you can just trust in Christ today. He died, for your cross. he died for your sins on the cross. He spread out his arms. He laid his life down for you to pay the penalty for your sin came back to life conquering sin and death so you can be forgiven, so you can become his son or his daughter. You just have to trust him. You have to believe in him. That's what it says. If you do that, you will not perish. You will not spend eternity apart from God, but rather with God and his family. I'm gonna give you a chance. God's gonna give you a chance. I'm not to pray and trust Christ today. You reach out to him. Ask him to forgive your sins. Tell him that you trust that that he died in your place. Ask him to be your savior and to become one of his children today. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Just say this to him, dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, for paying the penalty for my sin. And right now I, I ask you to, to wash me to cleanse me of my sin, to make me your child, your son, your daughter, to include me in your vast, diverse family. From this day forward, teach me to honor you, to love you, and to love my neighbor as myself. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to put a gift in your hands. It's a little box. We called it our save box. Inside of this is a Bible, help you get started on your spiritual journey. There's a cup in here as well and some instructions on how uh, to get involved in our church. If you would text the word SAVE to 65248, we will get that in your hands. Hey, I know this is difficult content. It's something that we have to talk about. My hope is that at the end of this series, we will feel to collectively as a church, the weight of the responsibility to normalize equality for everyone, at least in our sphere of influence. We can't change the world, but God has given us a responsibility and a reach. And in that area, we need to do our best to normalize equality for all. That's our hope through this series. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the instructions of your word. Thank you for the insight that it gives us that you created every man, woman, and child in your image as an image bearer. And therefore they are worthy of the highest dignity and respect. And one day, every single tribe and nation and tongue and language and skin color will stand before you and worship you. So give us the courage and give us the wisdom to create that, cultivate that while we wait for your son to return to bring about the unity that you so desire. Help us to pass the test that diversity puts in front of us, which is to love those who are different from us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. See you next week. I'm gonna hand it off to the local teams right now.